information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome to today's episode of Minding My Black Business Podcast. And on today's episode, we have our guest, Candace Walter. Candace is a registered patent attorney with over 13 years of legal experience as a prosecutor, civil litigator, protector of intellectual property, and advisor on business branding. Ms. Walter handles all facets of intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, copyrights, transactions, such as non-disclosure, licensing, and purchase agreements, and litigation. Her clients include individuals, entrepreneurs, and small businesses. Ms. Walter is an HBCU graduate from Florida A&M University, where she earned her BS degree in chemistry, and she also earned her JD degree, Juris Doctorate, from the University of Texas School of Law. Family, let's welcome Candice. Welcome to Mindy My Black Business. All right. Well, I am so excited for our guest today. Um, Candice, I so appreciate you joining Mindy My Black Business and welcome to the podcast. It's so wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, this is so long overdue because I'm so excited for this conversation because when we talked earlier, you dropped some major knowledge and I felt like it needed to be shared with the world. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit more about you and your business? Okay. My name is Candace Walter. I'm based in Dallas, Texas, and I'm an attorney. I focus on intellectual property, which means patent, trademark, copyright, but I also do transactions. So I help people with contracts like licensing agreements or non-disclosures, purchasing agreements, things like that. And I've had my office for almost two years now, but I've been an attorney since 2004. Mm. How did you get into that? How did you get into intellectual property? Well, I have a science degree, so my degree, undergrad, is chemistry, pre-med, and then I, um, right before it was time to graduate, I decided to go to law school instead of medical school. So a lot of people that are IP attorneys have science backgrounds, and if you want to take the patent bar, you actually are required to have an undergrad science degree before they'll let you take the test. Wow. Huh. Okay. Okay. See, I'm learning this stuff already, and we like two minutes in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So our paths crossed through a mutual friend because I was interested in trademarking um, some business stuff, and I was so turned around um, in terms of how to do that, what trademarking covers, the process, um, where to even begin, and you did such a great job in really holding my hand because I know I emailed you and texted you <laughs> throughout the process. And so I truly appreciate that. Um, so in the, in the, on the basic level, can you provide us with some ideas around what's the, di- like, what is trademarking? How is that different from copywriting and a registered trademark? All that good stuff, all those terms we hear. Okay, so all of those things that you just mentioned, they're all a part of intellectual property, which basically is property that comes from something that was in your head. That's kind of what, where the term comes from. 
Okay. So with a copyright, if you ever have watched movies or you've read books and you've seen those notices in the beginning of the movie or the front of the book, you can't basically someone else has created this creative work and you can't just freely copy it and make money from it right. because it's mine. So as soon as you create a work, and it doesn't just have to be a book or a movie, it could be a video game, it could be a statue that you sculpted, something that you painted, a poem mm. that you wrote. As soon as you create that thing, you have a copyright. But unless you send your copyright registration application to the copyright office, your copyright is unregistered. And if you want to sue somebody for copyright infringement, you have to register the copyright. So that's copyright. And then for patents, you know, if you have an invention, if it's a method or a process of doing something, or if it's some kind of machine, like maybe you have a machine, you create some machine that feeds your dog and gives them water and lets them out while you're on vacation. So you've invented this new uh, dog sitting machine, robot or something. You'd want to apply for a patent to protect that. So that would uh, that process is through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and at the same office, they also do the trademark applications. So if you've ever seen the R that's in a circle, or you've seen a little mm -hmm. TM or an FM yeah. next to a word, that means trademark. TM is trademark, SM is service mark, and the R in the circle it means you have a registered trademark. So what is a trademark? So mm -hmm. basically, if a, tra a trademark is, do you have a name for your business, a product, a slogan? Do you care if other people use it? If you care if other people use it, then you need to get a trademark. So basically, trademark helps you protect your brand and your reputation with your customers and the community. So if I'm calling myself Walter Legal and I get a trademark for that, I don't want somebody, and I, let's say that I have, you know, hundred customers or a hundred thousand customers or followers or whatever. Right. I don't want somebody else to call themselves Walter Legal to provide shoddy service and then mm. people are maybe go online and complain about Walter Legal is out of control. And no, 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 don't do that. I'm Walter Legal. I want to have a trademark for this. You cannot use this name for your products. And for people that have other products, like maybe you're making cookies or you're making a beverage or cupcakes, whatever it is that you're doing, and you develop a following in the community, like sprinkled cupcakes, for instance, they have a trademark. I cannot call, I cannot bake dry cupcakes and call them <laughs> sprinkled cupcakes. Yeah. You know, right, right. Cupcakes. Those are some good cupcakes too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Or like if I make a soda and call it Kula Cola or, you know, or right. Coca Cola or something and have it in a red can. Coca-Cola is going to come for me because they've had that brand for years. They've built it up. They have a reputation. They sponsor the Olympics. They do all these things. They do that so that they can make money, not so that the um, infringer can make money. So that's why you need to get a trademark. And so trademark and service mark are basically the same thing. But a trademark is for goods and a service mark is for service. So if your service is computer repair or home cleaning or grass cutting, whatever that is, that's a service mark. Trademark is if you're actually providing a good, so like the cookies, the cupcakes, the soda, the computer, whatever it is you're doing, that's a trademark. And then once you apply for the trademark with the USPTO and you get approved, that's when you can use the R in the circle. So when you see the R in the circle, it means these people have registered the trademark. Right. But that's not the only way you can have a trademark. So if I just start selling Candace's cupcakes, I can just go outside my house and sell them to people that walk by. I have a common law trademark for Candace's cupcakes. That's all that I have. That's the weakest kind of trademark I can have. If I'm selling my cupcakes in Dallas, maybe in Houston, 
then I can apply for a state trademark with the Texas Secretary of State. And then if I'm planning this cupcake enterprise to go across the United States from coast to coast, I'm here to, you know, sell cupcakes to everybody to make everybody fat. The fatter you guys are, the more money I'm making. Mm-hmm. Then I want to get a federal trademark to protect me across the United States. So when you have the federal trademark, you can tell people across the whole country, I have this trademark for these particular goods. If you keep using it or start using it, I'm going to sue you. Ah. And that's what the trademark does. It gives you the right to stop other people from using this word or this design. It could be a logo or it could be a slogan, different things. So when do you suggest that people initiate that process in terms of the trademark? Like at the, as soon as they come up with the idea, once they've gotten, you know, a few months of business under their belt, or like when is the ideal time to start that process? Ideally, as soon as possible, because let's say that you have this idea, you start selling your product for six months, you have, you know, printed out your cards, your brochures, you've got the domain, you built the website, and then you get a letter in the mail. Hey, you are using my name, and if you don't stop, I'm going to sue you. So it's very important before you pick the name for your business that you do a search and find out is someone else using this name for their business? Does somebody else already have a trademark registration for this? So that's why it's important before you commit all of your time and energy and money into this branding that you make sure that there's not something the same or similar already existing. Mm. So I would say the best time to do it is before you use the mark. And when you do a federal trademark, you can file either as in use, which is 1A, or you can do 1B, which is intent to use. So with the federal system, you can say, I'm using it right now. This is the first day that I used it. This is the first day that I use it in commerce, this is my mark, and here is a specimen of my mark, which basically is you showing the trademark office how do you use this mark. So if you're uh, good with cupcakes, you would show them a box with your mark on it that had a cupcake in it, or maybe the front of your cupcake store, or the brochures that you use, or the flyers that you hand out at the, you know, bridal conventions, whatever it is, something that's showing them, I'm claiming cupcakes, and I sell cupcakes, and here's something that shows you how I use this mark. So with federal, you can do, that was in use. If you do intent to use, you just have to tell them, this is the mark that I plan to use. That's Mm -hmm. it. You don't have to tell them the first day you used it in commerce, the first day that you used it. You don't have to give a specimen. But eventually, once your mark is approved, you are going to have to prove use. And once, let's say, if you apply intent to use, you get approved. They say, okay, you've been approved. You need to send in your statement of use and your specimen. The statement of use is basically you saying, this is the first day I used the mark. This is the first day I used it in commerce. And here's the specimen showing my use of the mark. But if they send that letter to you requesting the statement of use and you don't, you haven't used it, don't worry. You can get an extension. So you can get a six-month extension. You can do that five times. So if you get five six-month extensions and you still have not used the mark, you're going to lose it. So they don't want you to sit on a mark that you're not using just so other people can't use it if you're not really planning to use it. And so when you do that intent to use application, you have to swear that you have a bona fide intent to use this mark with these goods or services that you claim. Mm -hmm. So you can't just apply for things to sit on it and plan to sell it to somebody else. 
Okay, so you can't just hold ideas. <laughs> okay, right. so like that's, that's they pretty. They have a baby, and somebody tries to trademark the baby's name. It's like, hey, wait a minute. Do you, <laughs> why are you trying to get this name? Because you want to sell it to Beyonce and Jay-Z later. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's real clever. Okay, okay. So what have you found in your experience to be, like, some of the common mistakes um, that people are making when it comes to um, trademarking or lack thereof. Do you mean? What do you mean? Like when they try to do their own application, or just that they don't do it at all? Both, 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 both. Because I, um, I just remember as I was working to, you know, pull mine and my black business together, having this um, real big fear around exactly what you were saying a few moments ago of somebody taking the idea or popping up somewhere. And I had done the domain search and on that website that you just mentioned for the trademarks, you can type in from what I can recall to see if the name has already been trademarked. And so right, you can search. Right, so I, I did both of those things. I saw that nothing was there. <clears throat> and so um, I was like, okay, so I feel like I'm on solid ground in terms of moving forward. Because um, much like you were saying, had bought the domain, got the website together, started to think of some things. But then um, the idea that somebody somewhere across the world or <laughs> across the United States could be working on something similar and snatched it away sort of terrified me. And um, so then I, <laughs> I sought out how to you know, make this a little more official, which led me to you. Um, but there was a part of me like saying, you ha- you don't even have anything yet. These are all ideas. <laughs> you, you're overreacting. And so, um, no. but I, I chose not to listen to that voice. Um, mm-hmm. but so I'm curious cause I could have almost, you know, not gone through this process at all. Now that I have, I feel way more secure about a whole bunch of things. Um, so right. what, what have you noticed in terms of either not filing or, just the way that, that you've seen people interact with the trademark in ways that you would like advise against. What are some cautionary? <laughs> okay. Cautionary so some things that pop into my mind is that some people think that if they buy the domain name that they have rights to the trademark, you don't. So mm. if you buy the, do- like just pretend that you bought miningmyownblackbusiness.com mm-hmm. and you were using it, you would have a common law trademark for that but that has absolutely nothing to do with rights under the federal trademark system because you never sent a trademark application. So mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of people that think if they have a website, oh, I have, a tra- I have the trademark already. Or sometimes people think that if they do a DBA, that they have a trademark or that they have an entity. And, they, and I'm like, no, 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 you're confusing all those things. These are all separate things. So mm-hmm. one is that you really have to complete the application and send it to the trademark office and have it approved before you actually have these trademark rights. So that's one thing that happens to people. And a lot of people have been in business for a long time. And let's say that you don't even know that someone else has this trademark. So for me, it's better to apologize than to ask for permission. Okay. So basically I talk to people sometimes they say, this is my trademark. I've been, or this isn't the name of my business. I've been using it for this, you know, this amount of time. And I just found out that somebody, wherever they are, has this name. I think it's conflicting, and I think I should try to buy it from them. Don't do that. 
So I, I basically think that if you do, if something like that does happen, what you should do is um, if you alert these people, then they're going to be on your back, mm. especially if they think that you're making a lot of money. So a better idea instead is for you to pick a new name and to make a gradual transition to this new name, you know, without bringing attention to yourself uh, and what's going on with this name, you know, because if these people haven't noticed that you're out here, you don't need to tell them. You need to, if you, if you tell them what you're doing, say, hey, I want to buy this, and they say no, they say, hey, you're also infringing, and I'm going to sue you if you don't change your name by next week. Yeah. You know, or you can start changing your own name and get it done in a few months. You know, you have a little more time to get it done. Right. But none of that would have happened if you got the trademark before you started using the name in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then sometimes if people have the trademark, maybe they have it, but they're only using it in one state. You know, so that could be a possibility. And so if you're if somebody's using this name in California, you're using it here in Texas. There's no reason for you to, you know swap at that hornet's nest either. They're over there, you're over here, but you should start working to get your ducks lined up. Okay, okay. Because you don't know who else might be using this name or planning to use the name. And If you apply for the uh, trademark, then when people do the search with the USPTO, they can see that you already have it. That can discourage them from using the name in the first place. Okay. <clears throat> so the USPTO, what's that acronym? That stands for United States Patent and Trademark Office. Okay. And that's the, the source and where you could submit the application? Yeah. Okay. That's where, yeah, that's where you send the application. So they do patents and trademark applications, but we're just talking about trademarks today. Yes. Right, 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 right. And that's also where you can check to see if a trademark already exists. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yes. And something else that we didn't talk about yet is when you're doing trademark some people think that they just need one trademark and mm. everybody has a different situation if you just have words that are in a standard type then that's a text trademark but if you have a logo which is some kind of design or picture element that's right. a separate trademark from the word trademark and if you have a slogan that you want to protect that's a separate thing and so mm. whenever i talk to people and it, what i tell them to do depends on how much money do they have how much money do they want to spend <laughs> so the best option would be if you have a logo to get the words alone and to get a trademark for the logo. But if you have to pick one, most of the time I tell people to get the words because if you get a trademark for your logo, okay, so you get to prove two right. years from now, change the logo. Uh, you, that means that your new logo is not protected. But if you had a trademark for the words, and it was on the logo, you're still just protecting those words, even though they're on the logo. So if you change the logo, but it still has those words, you're still protecting that. You still protect. So, okay. yeah. But then sometimes if somebody, if there's a, uh, say that you get your office action from the trademark office, they won't protect or they won't let you have the uh, words because someone else has a confusingly similar trademark or they say it's merely descriptive. Mm -hmm. You may, the only thing, option you may have is the logo. You know, so if that happens to you, that's what happens to you. But at the end of the day, having the word mark is broader than you having the trademark for the logo. But the best option is to get both. So, <clears throat> Kenneth, can you explain um, the benefits of seeking out um, counsel for the trademark versus like a do-it-yourself online type of situation that can... Um, 
you know, some sort of online format in which they say that you could do it through them, some sort of legal online okay. website. So I'll tell you that because basically when you use an attorney, the person you're using has done this presumably dozens or hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. So when they're doing that, like as a person who's never looked at it, the uh, USPTO website can be kind of confusing trying to yes, figure out is. which form you need, yes, it how is. to search <laughs> if there's <laughs> a mark that's similar to the one that you're doing. And then when you get to the part that talks about the identification classes, trying to identify a class that matches your uh, good or service, all those things to lay people are confusing. For the person, for an attorney that does trademarks, we could do these things. I I don't want to say with our eyes closed, but basically it would be a lot easier for the attorney to do it because we've done it so many times. And then second, if you are a trademark attorney, you've seen the office action you know what kind of uh, rejections they send to people and the reasoning behind it. So if somebody says, you know, this is my mark, you can say, hey, I did a search, I found this. The the trademark office might say your mark is similar to this. They might say it's really descriptive. They might reject you for this reason. And then also, if you do get the office action, and that could the person that's applying could decide to change their mark. And I've had people do that before. They told me, this is what I want to trademark. And then I do a search and I say, this is what I found. We probably should change your name. And then the client can decide, yes, I want to change my name. No, I want to do it anyway. So if they do it anyway and they get rejected, I already warned you that was probably going to happen. But mm-hmm. then for if you had an attorney and I warned you, you could change your name. So I've had clients before where they sent me like, it's probably taken two weeks and they sent me 20 names trying to find something that didn't have a confusingly similar mark. So if you were doing that yourself, you would just pick this name and you would put it in there and wait a few months and get a rejection and you've wasted your 225 filing fee. Oh, okay. Because you, you know, had no idea that a similar mark was there. So that's the benefit of having the attorney. They can warn you about, you know, possible rejections. They can do the application a lot faster, a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. They can explain the form to you and what the different classes mean and all that different stuff. And something else that people don't know when you're doing your own application when you pick all those, like you, if let's say that you pick 10 different things, the trademark office can ask you to provide specimens for those 10 different things that you pick. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good idea to go into the application and pick like 10 items. And really all you needed to pick was books. Yeah. You know? And then you decided to pick books and spirals and pencils and, you know, shoes and hats, whatever all these things are. And then also when you're picking things that are in different classes, they charge you for each class. Oh. So that's one concern is that if you do pick five classes, you're going to pay five filing fees. And so the attorney could tell you, hey, you don't, you probably don't need these five classes. You probably could just do one or two. And so if you're just a lay person or a pro se person, you don't know those things. Right. So basically the attorney is there to give you some guidance, do a little handholding, give you the benefit of their years of experience doing the trademark applications. So they kind of can predict the, you know, pitfalls that regular people don't know about because they've never done it. Right, right, right. And I, I feel like I remember you saying <clears throat> that even after you file, there could be some things that need to either be provided and that would yeah. be something that the attorney could assist you with if you, you know, went that route. Yes, because I talked to a lot of people, they file their own trademark applications and they get an office action. And after I, since I've been looking at these for 
six, seven years now, mm-hmm. I can, you know, my eye can zoom in to what the critical part is. But for a person that doesn't look at this stuff and you get this office action that's like five, ten pages, it can be overwhelming. So they might say they, you, they want you to disclaim a word. So if my pretend trademark is Candace's Cupcakes. They tell me you need to disclaim cupcakes. That just means I cannot claim exclusive use to the word cupcakes. Or they might tell me that my mark is confusingly similar to XYZ. Or they might say, we found another mark that's uh, similar to yours. Say if you own it or not. And so then all you have to do is say, yes, I own it. Or they might say, this your mark, Candace's Cupcakes, this Candace person consent. And all you have to do is respond, yes, my, I'm Candace, I consent. Or Candace is, you know, this, that's my mom's name and here's her consent. So sometimes the um, objections or rejections that they have are something pretty easy to handle. And other times it's more substantial. So if they say that your mark is too similar to this whatever mark, then you have to respond to that office action. And it's not impossible for the lay person to do it. But as I said before, the attorney has done it many, many times. Mm -hmm. So they know the arguments to make. So let's say that they say you're too similar to this person they can argue, you know, my product is in different trade channels and we have a different customer base and whatever different arguments that the attorney makes. The regular person doesn't know the, to say that stuff. Right, right. Or the resources to look at to make the argument. Absolutely. And also that reminds me of something else. Whenever we were talking about when is the best time to trademark. Yes. I think the best time is before you use it. But let's say that you get a tra- you apply for a trademark after you've been using it either a few months or years, let's say that you get the um, office action that says you're rejected because this this trademark is merely descriptive. So a merely descriptive trademark would be like if I was saying I'm selling wet water mm-hmm. or cold water or something like that. And they're like, you can't have a trademark for that. It's merely descriptive. But if I could prove to the trademark office that LeBron James was drinking my wet water at the NBA finals and now I might have an order for like a billion cases shipped around the world, blah, blah, blah. That means that wet water does not mean wet water anymore. Okay. I actually now have some notoriety and I have some brand recognition with the public. So if I had never used my wet water and I hadn't sold any products, I don't have the, I I have no argument if they say I'm really descriptive and I haven't sold anything. And I have no customer base and I have no commercials or advertisements in the magazines or whatever. So that's kind of a risk that you run if you apply, you know, yeah. later after you've been using it. But at the same time, if you if you use it and you don't apply right away, you risk someone's, you know, else using the name. Right. And whoever's basically using the name first, that's who has priority. Okay. The prior user. So that's why it's important to file as soon as possible. So I just say, go ahead and file as soon as possible. As soon as you file, if you haven't been using it, start using it as soon as you can. So that, that leads me to my next question. That was a nice segue. You didn't even know that you did that. So (laughs) let's say as a result of this conversation in this episode, that we have sufficiently um, increased people's anxiety (laughs) around trademarking. Um, what would you suggest? How might they get in contact with you um, if they want to begin their process or if they need some consultation? What are some ways in which they okay. can contact you? They can call me. My office number is 
1-800-926-9722. They can also email me. My email is Candace, K-A-N-D-A-C-E, at WalterLegal.com. And that's my website, too, www.WalterLegal.com. And so I offer people free 15-minute phone conversation consultations so they can basically figure out, am I trying to get a trademark, a patent, or copyright? How much is it going to cost me? What do I need to do right now? And if the people are in Texas, we can have a meeting in my office. But if they're not, then we would have to do it, you know, by Skype or by phone or something like that. Okay. Perfect. And so what I also do is include this information in the show notes. So if people happen to be um, driving or somewhere where they can't um, write that down, then they can access it later. Um, yeah. I, I, no feel like, I feel like your phone's about to blow up, uh, Candace. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Go ahead. I can handle it. But I, yes, I do love to educate people and so they just know, even if they say, hey, that's, I can't pay for that right now. That's okay, but you know. So you know right. what you need to do when you get your money right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, I have tons more questions, but we don't want to make this a two-hour podcast. So would you be willing um, to join us back later um, at a later time so that we could continue this conversation around protecting the business? Oh, definitely. Just let me know when. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Candice. And I have so appreciated you telling us how we can mind our Black businesses. This has been a great conversation. And I look forward to episode our next episode. All right. You have Thank a good Thank you so one. much for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bye. Okay. Bye. talk about some ways in which this segment of the podcast episodes will look a slightly different. So we will continue to talk about ways to insert some self-care and create peaceful spaces for our entrepreneurs, well, all of our listeners, actually. But what I also want to do is Minding My Black Business is also about community. It's also talking about ways in which we can become better citizens in our larger community ways in which we can support each other, ways in which we can nurture each other. So as we have guests stop by, I will be checking in with them to find out what they are doing to mind their black business. So that might mean that they talk about their own self-care rituals and traditions and habits, but it also can mean things that they are doing or hope to do or aspire to do to be a better citizen in their community. And so I want to expand what our mindfulness moment looks like, that it goes just beyond the ways in which we take care of ourselves, because that is quite important, but also to include the ways in which we take care of each other. So in future episodes, you will hear not just from me, but from our podcast guests as they talk about how they mind their black business. So if you want to know more and you like what you heard, don't forget to like subscribe, and comment on the podcast. Also, follow the movement on our website, MindingMyBlackBusiness.com, and on our Facebook and Instagram pages under Minding My Black Business, and on Twitter under Minding My Black Biz. 
So peace and blessings to us all, family. And when you're out there and they ask you what you're doing, let them know that you're minding my black business. Thank you.